Welcome to the Milwaukee Admirals podcast with Charlie Larson. I'm Aaron Sims, and this week we uh, are privileged to have the time uh, from this man. He is the Admirals' winningest coach in AHL history, now the interim head coach for the Minnesota Wild in the National Hockey League, Dean Evison. Dean, it's great to see you. Great to talk to you. How are things up there in St. Paul? I am. Uh, it's, it's obviously um, crazy still. Um, we're, we're not quite as locked down as, as, uh, as we were, as, as you guys are the same. Um, but it's certainly a pleasure for me uh, to, to join you and, and Charlie on, uh, on this podcast. It's awesome. Well, we appreciate it. I tell you what, uh, you've done, you did a podcast with your old teammate, Ray Ferrero, uh, a few months ago. And the stories you told on that, I'm not going to ask you to, to repeat them, but because they can go to Ray's podcast to hear them. But these stories of you and him living together and what you did with the car and all, they were just fantastic. I was just rolling on the floor laughing. Well, you know, Literally. it's amazing. Yeah, it's just that you're you're 20 years old um, and you have no idea. You're just so excited. I mean, we were both just so excited to be playing pro hockey. And um, you see some of these kids today, they're so devastated when they get sent down to the minors. And, and we were just so happy to even be, be, play, be there playing hockey. It doesn't matter where you were, NHL, American League, East Coast. You're just excited to play. And we we had some uh, some very life learning experiences with the car in different situations, and um, you know, and and we've got great stories because of it. And uh, you know, we were both fortunate to go on and play uh, in the NHL for for years. But uh, but yeah, we whenever we get together, we rehash uh, a lot of the old stories. I mean, the car story that's got to be an all time story. <laughs> that, that I mean, at least could you just tell us that one? Every for the rest of them, go to Ray Ferraro's podcast. But this one, this is so good. Like it's, <laughs> it would well, it could never happen now, never. Yeah, well, I mean, we bought a car. Like we had, I mean, you have no money. I mean, the money that the guys had now. I mean, we'd come right out of junior, and, and so anyway, we. We bought a car. It was a Ford Matador um, for 500 bucks. I think it was 500. It was no more than 500 bucks. So we split it 250. Um, we called it the Bull, and it was this great big old car. And and the the first part of the story is that we used to we had two roommates. Uh, I mean, two teammates, Dan Bourbonnet and Mike Hoffman. They owned a huge Cadillac. So every time we saw each other on the road or in the parking lot or whatever. We, we had both bought these cars as cheap. We would just immediately go over to the other guy and smash into the back of the, the car. And, and so the one story is that our girlfriends, we weren't married at the time, our girlfriends both came down, Ray's and Ray Ferrell's and mine came down. They dropped us off at the practice rink and they were leaving, uh, or the, the game rink, they were leaving the, the, the parking lot and these guys saw the bull leaving. So they immediately sped over to it and just slammed into the back end of it. And he said when they turned around, they saw the girls were there, and they immediately turned around and went back. And they came into the dressing room, and they said, guys, you're going to have some issues when you get old because uh, the girls, we just you know, scared the heck out of them. But, yeah, no, and then at the, the story at the end of the year is that Ray got called up. I, uh, I was still in Binghamton, and I talked to him, and he – we said, what do you want to do with the car? And we had no idea what to do with the car. No idea. Like, we didn't know how, what to do with the license and all that kind of stuff. First time we'd ever had a car and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so he said, well, let's just leave it in the, on the street. Just So we put all our pots and pans in the car, left it on the side of the street by uh, the apartment that we rented, took the license plates off, stuck it in the car, left it, uh, uh, took a set of keys, left a set of keys under the mat, and just left it there. 
And <laughs> so I get a, a call about a month later and it's a policeman saying, you know, Mr. Everson, we have a car that was registered to you. It's sitting in front of the, on this apartment and you, you've got to get rid of it. Like what's going on? And I said, I said, I'm so sorry. And he knew that we had played with the Binghamton Whalers. And so anyway, I just said, I'm so sorry. I had no idea what to do with it. And he says, well, what do you want me to do with it? And I said, well, I don't know. Do you want it? And he said, well, I've got a 16 year old son. I said, you know, <laughs> could I, I said, take it. I said, if you can get into it, there's a set of keys underneath the front mat. And uh, he took it, and uh, and and that's the story. I'm sure. I'm sure he's still driving it. That car could probably drive forever. <laughs> <laughs> At least he's using the pots and pans, probably. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he'd want to use those. We weren't the best cooks in the world. I'll tell you that. <laughs> that's so good. Uh, it's it's hard to believe that it's almost eight years ago that you became the head coach of the Milwaukee Admirals, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we look back so so many times, my, my wife and I, and uh, obviously I still stay in contact with, uh, with the guys there, uh, uh, with Fordo, Stan Drulli is still there, Ryan Costello, all you guys, obviously Harris. Um, we, we absolutely loved our time in, uh, in Milwaukee. Um, you know, clearly uh, the hockey was, was phenomenal, but uh, the life experience, the, the friendships that, uh, that my wife and I both gained, uh, you know, not only within the hockey community, but outside was, uh, was absolutely terrific. I remember when you were hired and I at the press conference, the day you were announced and uh, at the press conference, I asked you because you had been in Washington for a long time. And I said something about uh, working with 20 year olds, young kids, when you've worked with, after coming off of working with Alex Ovechkin, do you remember what you said to me? <laughs> Probably about some about. Alex being young, I don't know. Yeah, Alex was a little kid anyway, or something like that. Yes, right, indeed. right. <laughs> yes, yeah, indeed. and 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 he was. And I've done, I've done several interviews, obviously through the years about Alex and and his excitement uh, uh, about the game, but uh, but more importantly about uh, about life and um, how excited he was just to be playing the game of hockey again in the NHL. But uh, but his excitement level to. Um, to be playing a, a kid's game in, in an adult world. And, uh, you know, yeah, I was very fortunate. I came in the same time that he came into Washington. Um, so my years there were, uh, were, were a lot of fun. Well, do you, do oh, you think ahead, that uh, the um, – well, you talked about the experiences that these kids and the pressures that these kids have uh, and then Ovechkin having his – do you think they have as much fun now as, as they did when you were playing? Because you're, you're right there. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's definitely more of a business. There's no question. I mean, the, the stories that we just told, like the Binghamton stories, I'm sure there's still uh, there's still stories in the minors and stuff, but it's uh, uh, it's 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 a big business now. And certainly at the NHL level, um, it's more business like. And, and I think that's a challenge for for coaches and uh, and certainly for me um, going forward and our coaching staff, uh, you know, and, and or this short time that I was here is trying to um, get the guys to uh, appreciate the game, to, to remember um, why they play the game. And it's, it's not because of the big contract and it's not because of, um, you know, the business opportunities that they have. They, they play it, to, you know, to, to have fun. They play it to score goals. They play it to have um, excitement. And uh, along the way, you can, you can make a really good living at it. And um, we're also in the entertainment business where you're out there entertaining um, you know, millions of people. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's just an exciting time. So I, I guess even as an assistant coach, that's what I tried to do is, is when I met guys in the morning, I just said, this is, you know, 
uh, guys would say good morning and and I'd say, you know, good morning. What would I have to complain about? I'm, you know, this is this is absolutely awesome. I'm coaching in the NHL. Um, you know, I get an opportunity to go on the ice for a couple hours and, and I can have a little workout and I can go home. I said, you guys got the best job in the world. So trying to trying to allow them to remember why they play the game. And I think it allows them, uh, if they do that, to, uh, to play the game uh, better. Dean, you spent a lot of, you've had a lot of, obviously a lot of years in hockey as a player, as an assistant. Uh, what do you, what do you see? Like, what's the difference, not necessarily in skills or on the ice. What's the difference between an NHL guy and, and managing NHL players and managing AHL players? You know what, Charlie, there isn't, there's not, there's not a difference. Um, the only difference is that, that in the NHL, we're in the spotlight. Um, and that's the only difference is that you can get away with a few more things. Um, <laughs> Teaching wise, um, you can get away with a few more things, um, you know, uh, coaching wise down there that, that you that are going to be really put into the spotlight. And we talked before we turned the, the, the radio or the mics on here about uh, about Kevin Fiala and Kevin Fiala went through a lot of growing pains in Milwaukee and in the American Hockey League. And if Kevin went through the same type of things that he did there that he you know if he went through them in the nhl and the spotlight was on him there'd be a lot more pressure to um you know to to succeed to you know to do different things there'd be a lot more pressure for for coaches to to not sit a player out or you know because he's your best player and he's making all this money you you have a little bit more liberty um in the minors as far as um you know doing some discipline stuff and and, and that type of thing. Um, and you can make mistakes. Um, you make mistakes in the minors. It, it doesn't get um, the exposure. It's not on every um, sports network all over the place. If you, if you have a, the wrong line change or the wrong people on the ice or you mess up at the end of the game as a coach or, or as a player, um, you know, you, you, can, you can get away with your learning experiences not having that much pressure and that much spotlight on it so but as far as coaching and and or um, dealing with personalities or or people um, you have the same people I believe anyway the same people in the American Hockey League as, as you do in the National Hockey League and and it's uh, it's our job as as in my position as a coach to to find ways to to get these guys to play to the best of their ability and, and give them that opportunity. And each and every player is completely different um, from each other. And that's what a lot of coaching is today is, uh, you know, managing people as opposed to, to managing their, uh, their hockey skill level. I mean, you, you brought up Kevin. So let's talk a little bit about him. I mean, he's, uh, he's, especially by the end of this or the pause where we were, he was certainly becoming an elite NHL player and he's always had the skill so, so when did, when did you, when did you see in him that he took sort of the next step? Uh, Cause I know that you had a big hand in bringing him to Minnesota in the first place from Nashville in the Marcus uh, uh, Grandland. Mikhail Grandland. Mikhail, not yeah. Marcus, yeah. Mikhail, I mean, sorry. Paul, yeah. Paul, Paul uh, Fenton was here. Obviously Paul drafted uh, Kevin in Nashville and, uh, and love what Kevin brought and saw, you know, and, and Paul as a, as a scout and, and his uh, vision of, of where a player could get to. Um, he knew that before anybody knew or any of us knew that Kevin was going to be an elite player. And it just, Kevin's skill set 
is, is one thing, but how he does it and, and how quickly he does it in the spaces that he does it on the ice is one thing. And it took Kevin some time to, to mature. It took Kevin time to grow up and he needed the time in the American hockey league. He needed the time uh, with the Milwaukee admirals um, to have that opportunity to grow and to mature, um, to grow up uh, on the ice um, as far as, not turning pucks over, being defensively sound, um, being a good teammate, not necessarily worrying so much about points as, a, as opposed to wins. But he needed to grow up and he needed to mature off of the ice. And, and he's done that. And a lot of times we forget, and I've made many, many mistakes of being impatient with players and just like, forget it. This guy is not going to make it. He can't play on my team. He's so selfish. He's this, he's that. And end of the day, if you can get past some stuff and you can continue to work with that player, you can continue to, um, to communicate with him and, and try to get through to him. And he's willing to do the work. And as Kevin was uh, willing to do the work, not, not initially, um, he wasn't uh, as willing as he is took now. A it took a little uh, of coaxing from it, you, it right? took a little uh, aggressive coaxing sometimes. Sometimes it's a pat, sometimes it's a kick. Um, but... Uh, but end of the day, Kevin knew where he wanted to be and figured out that, you know what, maybe maybe what we're doing here in Milwaukee and, and what the coaching staff is trying to establish um, is a good thing, not only for our hockey club with the Milwaukee Admirals, but it's good for Kevin Fiala as well. So he's come a long way, very proud of where he's, uh, where he's brought himself as a hockey player and a person. When you look back at your time here with the Admirals, I look at some of these teams and, and – the playoff success wasn't there, but I mean, there were, you had some great teams. I mean, do you, do you think, oh man, we left one on the table. We left one on the table here. You know, that, that 13, 14 team in particular, I guess I think about with um, Forsberg was here and, and uh, Scott Darling and, and Helberg and Mazinets. And I mean, it was just, it was, it was a good hockey team. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you always do. I mean, you always think, and, and I think every coach, and certainly I've coached long enough now to uh, to understand. I mean, it's it's one thing to have success in the regular season, but you need to have success, um, you know, in the playoffs. And obviously, the American Hockey League is a little different animal yeah. because you're developing, and and a lot of teams that we had there were young, um, and inexperienced, and not ready. Um, a lot of times, it was the coaches and my, and the head coach and, and myself being inexperienced and not ready. Um, but I think you learn from, and hopefully you learn, and hopefully I've learned from all those experiences um, with those teams, what I did right, what I did wrong, what the teams did right, what the teams did wrong, individuals grow um, to get better. And, and then when we get put back into those situations, you uh, you're able to change uh adapt or or tweak what what you did to not have success hopefully you can do that and have success uh down the road but certainly um we had we had some great teams i mean what what i'm very proud of of the time in milwaukee is i i don't think any any year or what have you whatever the teams were our group worked hard uh, we worked our butts off and our group there and obviously uh, with the National Predators organization, but with, with Harris and, and all the staff, all you guys, we were, that's as close to a professional NHL um, organization as you can get in the American Hockey League. And, and so I think our group was conducted that way from, from the top down. And I think the players 
we're able to have some success on the ice and, and a lot of them go on to uh, long and, and, uh, and, and great NHL careers because of it. Do you remember the time in San Antonio where we were at that, that English pub uh, right by the hotel there and I was going to be the, we were trying to figure out why Pontus Aberg wasn't scoring so many goals. So I was going to have the guts to go over and, and report <laughs> to you. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember a Mexican restaurant too, but, yeah, since you said we're at a pub, you probably don't remember the end of it, though. <laughs> <laughs> Could be right, but I do. But I do remember that for sure. And yeah, I mean, Pontus was another guy, uh, Aaron. That we, you know, that we uh, we had a lot of challenges with, and then we ended up coming here last year, and uh, and then he ended up playing for Toronto this year. And um, you know, he's had a lot of uh, a lot of the same growing pains and growing up stuff uh, uh, that uh, that Kevin Fiala experienced as well. But what a supremely skilled play, like physically everything you would want in a hockey player. I, I think we, I mean, at least what I've seen from him is since he was with us in, uh, in Milwaukee, the, the, the games that he absolutely dominated because of his skill level. And um, I, I've been quoted a few times uh, talking about our, about uh, Pontus Auberg is, is being misunderstood and, um, if you sit down as you guys have and talk to him, he is an extremely funny guy, uh, yeah. very dry witted. Um, and I, I really enjoy, sure. We had challenges and sure. You wanted to, um, you know, grab him by the, the Jersey some nights and give him a shake. But, um, but you know, for the most part, I really enjoyed And, and I, I guess we had, let's not only myself, but the coaching staff there, we, we had a lot of fun, uh, trying to, um, get the best out of uh, out of every player, but guys like that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, Pontus. There, I remember a story that uh, we we had talked about this on with Stan uh, before. But there was a practice team wasn't playing well, and maybe the effort wasn't there that you wanted. And so, okay, boys, today we're going to skate. And I don't know if you probably <laughs> skated for forty five minutes. Maybe you didn't say anything. You just used the whistle. And everyone is is doubled over, like they're gonna be like people are gonna puke on the ice. Except Pontus, he's barely red in the face. He is he's like, oh well, what's next? What drills next? And that was the physical type of specimen that he was. That he could he was in such good shape that he could withstand a uh, a, a talkless practice and still be like, okay, well, I'm good. Yeah, well, I I'm not a hundred percent. This is the situation, but I didn't skate a lot of guys. But and I can't remember the other. There's a a big Swede that we had there as well, but him and Pontus were late and they actually, we didn't play them. They were suspended or whatever for the game. So um, our philosophy was that they get fined first, the money, and then, and then, you know, they're anyway, ultimately their playing time's taken away, but um, I don't usually skate the guys after practice, but I said, I'm going to stay and I'm going to skate um, the guys after the two guys after practice that were late. And I mean, it was over and backs and stops and starts. And I, I was tired just blowing my whistle. And, <laughs> and I, I swear to he, he did not, he, he could have went for another three hours of doing the and, exact same thing. So, and he just, he'd look at you and just smile. <laughs> like so just, does that, does that just piss you off more? Does it make you right? Okay. Well, like I'm going to break you and, but you couldn't, right. You couldn't get him to that point. No, it, but he, like, and I say a smile, when I say a smile, I say smirk. 
Like right. it was just like yes. he'd look at you and he'd just be like, "Okay, like what? What you can't hurt at me. Uh, I'm just gonna keep <laughs> doing this over and over again, and it's okay." And he just skated off. And if I could remember the other guy, if we, uh, do you remember the big Swede, Aaron? Defenseman right, or forward? Right, right winger. Uh, Max Gortz. Max Gortz. Max Gortz. Yeah. And Max Max Gortz could not skate. Like no. his his lactic acid. His legs were were absolutely like stilts, like just standing straight up in the air, and he he could not make it across the ice. And I felt bad for that kid because Pontus was just still going. And like you said, Charlie, like I'm like, okay, you know, screw you, you're gonna go another ten more times. Yeah. And poor Max, poor Max is dying. And Pontus probably rode the bike after, went for a jog or something, but um, with this smirk on his face, so. Um, I, I had a lot of respect for uh, for Pontus and, uh, you know, uh, enjoyed my time with him. But that was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Uh, we were, we, another one we talked with Stan was uh, Peoria. And I think he was a, he may have been a star of the game, but I know he scored a goal. Uh, Jack McClellan. Jack McClellan goes out and gets a goal. <laughs> but... <laughs> I probably should. Uh, I probably shouldn't tell a story like this, but um, yeah, no, it was a situation where Jack scored a goal, and um, and we finished the game. And Stan had a defenseman on uh, on, on the back end that he was, you know, he ran the defense. And anyway, after the game, I said, "Geez, he's the first star. He scored a goal." And I said, "I think he." I think he maybe played two minutes in, in the whole game. The rest Stanley, of the game. <laughs> I, said, I said, there's nobody on the ice that played less than he did. And Stan's like, yeah, of course. I said, he said, I only gave, I gave one of his, my defensemen like two or three shifts. So there's no way he's played more. We got the, we got the stats and, and uh, Jack had only played like a minute and 20 seconds or something. <laughs> and he was first star, <laughs> scored the game winning goal. And, and, uh, and I don't know if Paul's going to listen to this, but he knows the story too. But Paul called after and he's like, geez, geez, Jack must have had a, a hell of a game on. Huh? And, and, you know, there's no video or whatever. We were like, yeah, he, he played great. Like he was the first star. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he had the poor kid had one shift and, uh, but scored a great goal. But yeah, we, uh, we enjoyed, uh, we enjoyed some, some laughter after that one. There's, <laughs> Uh, one of the things that coaches are good at, and I think you're exceptional at, is storytelling. I mean, <laughs> the number of stories that we heard, uh, we just heard from you in the office. It was, you know, like, uh, like get a, almost like get a popcorn bowl. Uh, <laughs> but one of the stories that I want you to, uh, to, to tell is the time you got traded in the minors. It must have been from Hartford to New York or vice, vice versa. Rangers to Hartford, yeah. Hart and, Hartford, Wash, yeah. yeah. Hartford to Washington. And, yeah, was, but, but it's the same team, same AHL affiliate. Yeah, no, I was, uh, I was called, uh, I was drafted by Washington and Binghamton, uh, the two affiliates for the Binghamton Whalers in the American Hockey League was half the team was Hartford Whalers and half the team were Washington Capitals. And I had got called up and I'd been up in Washington playing for the Capitals and it was trade deadline and I would, we finished practice and I was just sitting in my stall and uh, our, our coach came in and, and uh and said everybody stick around there's possibly a trade in the works so of course i'm 
you know, 20 years old or what it would, yeah, 20 years old. And I'm like, it can't be me. Like who the hell would want me that like, I just started my career, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, trainer come up and he's like, you know, there's a phone call for you. And it still doesn't clue in. Like, it's like, what do you mean a phone call for me at the practice rink? Like here in Washington. <laughs> <laughs> and it's David Poyle informing me that he just traded me to Hartford. So anyway, so he's like calling Neil Francis. So I called Neil Francis. He said, you're going to, you know, you're not coming to Hartford. You're going to go back to Binghamton. So I went back to Binghamton. And, and again, in those days, you half were on uh, they literally weren't half on one tee on side, but we got back to practice and the guys had taken my stall from, from one side of the room and moved it to the other side of the room. So now I was on the Hartford side and not the Washington side, but, um, so yeah, it was, uh, it, it was, it was fun, but that stuff doesn't happen a whole lot anymore. Did you ever, did you ever talk to David about that after he hires you in Milwaukee? Did you ever call or tell him, Hey, remember when you traded me as a, a 20 year old? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, we, uh, we, we talked about it and then you'd have little banter back and forth and a little, little shots back and forth about, you know, who he trades for and, and what have you. And when he'd made a bad trade, you'd say that's not your worst trade in the, that you've ever made or you're not your best trade. Remember when you traded me was, that was your best trade and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, you always have, you always have fun with stuff like that for sure. I following up a little bit on your playing and there's been a lot written about this, but I'd just like to get your perspective on it. Like the Hartford Whalers teams that you played on, the number of NHL coaches that have come out of that group is really, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, and do you still, how many of those guys from those teams do you keep in contact with? And uh, like, do you have group chats? Like uh, there, was, there, was, uh, there was the article here the other day about all these people that played for, uh, for Jack. Right. For, uh, for Tex, for Tex, for, for Jack Tex Evans. I didn't see the article, but uh, but yeah, Jack uh, Jack Tex Evans was our coach. Oh, geez, I don't even know how many years, but probably. Well, I had Larry Plo and I had um, uh, oh, geez, uh, one other coach there. Um, yeah, Rick Lee at the end there. Rick, Rick, Rick Lee, maybe? Lee right at Rick the Lee? end. Yeah, but, um, but Rick yeah, Lee straight Jack, from Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, and Jack, but Jack uh, Tex Evans was the the coach there for the years that we were, you know, pretty good hockey club and we had lost to, to uh, Montreal in the Abs Division Finals, game seven, overtime in the forum, Claude Lemieux scores. It was Patrick Waugh's first year. They go on to win the cup. And that was probably our best year, our best opportunity to uh, um, to do something. Who knows if you win the cup. And But we tell the story. We came home from that series, lost in the Abs Division final, which is basically second round. Um, we come home, we had a parade downtown Hartford. Like <laughs> yeah. we literally had a parade. From like you had won the cup. Era. Like we'd won the cup. It was the most incredible thing. We we're all in the back of these trucks and like the team's all like, what are we doing? Like, <laughs> <laughs> we're having a parade. People are lining the streets. And But that's all excited. They were, uh, Hartford was a great hockey town. It, it, it really was. They, the fans were 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 amazing and, and it was a wonderful place to live. But to answer your question, Charlie, I have, I, I, We've all done so many articles, uh, I'm sure, and, and interviews about the Hartford Whalers and why there's so many coaches. Like, I know there's six or seven NHL or guys that have been NHL coaches, but there's so many other people, as you said, like the Ray Ferros and Mike Lee, who's an agent, Mark Johnson. I mean, you can go on and on about different guys that are still in the game. Paul McDermott, Paul McDermott owns a team in, in uh, Ontario, and there's just – everybody just stays but 
Um, I, I guess probably the, the, the closest thing, and, and it's not just because it's me, but I, I, um, Emil Francis, um, somebody had said the other day, I think it was Sean or, or uh, Brian Burke said that um, Emil Francis wanted character people on his, on his hockey clubs. And I guess that's the only thing is that when I look back on those days, all, we were such a close knit group. We were all the same age. Ronnie Francis was our captain. When I broke into the NHL is at 20, 21. He was our captain at 22, I think. Everybody was really young. Mike Lee might have been 30. That was the oldest guy. So we were all around the same age. But um, uh, so we grew up together. We, we spent a lot of time together. We, do, we don't stay in contact as far as, you know, group chats and, and texts and all that kind of stuff. But when I go to different places, like when I go to Edmonton here at the end of the year when, uh, when we took over as – as the head coach here in Minnesota, um, Dave Tippett and I talked for an hour and a half before the pregame uh, skate. And just, it was like, we were still on the bus driving from the Boston garden back to Hartford um, after a game and rehashing the game. And, and he was probably the guy that I would say, looking back, he'd be, he's probably going to be a coach. Like he was just, he'd, be analyzing the game this is what our pk didn't do this is what our power play should have did we should have fortunately this way and he would break it down and and he was a fun guy to to sit and have a beer with and uh, and chat on those bus rides or in those days we were in commercial planes if we were able to sit together <laughs> when you when you when you were do, when you were playing uh, we just talked with a, there was a player here in milwaukee jason guerrero 15 years ago he's now a an associate head coach at Brown University, but he was talking about he kept notebooks of drills because he knew one day this was going to be his plan. Did you do that any time in your career or as you got older, later in your career, anything like that? I, when I first, you know, you go through your career, I, coming down the end of my career, I, I had the opportunity to play for Andy Murray with a uh, player assistant coach with Team Canada with Andy Murray in 97. And we ended up going to the world championships and winning, which was absolutely awesome. But that whole year, I was a player assistant coach. So I started keeping my practice plans, started keeping notes because I thought that I'd possibly be uh you know that would be the the route that I was going to go as far as a coach I was fortunate to play a couple more years in Europe in Germany and then get into coaching from there but since then I've taken like as an assistant coach or a head coach I've kept every practice plan that I've ever had and wow. I keep them in a full in a, a, a bin which I'm sure everybody's gone through all their their stuff uh, through this virus uh, but you organize it and I haven't I maybe um throwing a few away um, as far as repeat stuff. But, yeah, I've collected all these practice plans, and I think what you do is you do that. Um, you also, um, I think, and especially as an assistant coach, when I was in, in uh, Washington and then I was assistant coach here uh, for a couple of years, uh, now with phones, you always jot down. I had a thing in my notes of, of thoughts that, that you would do differently than the head coach was doing or, or situations that you'd, you'd try to – um, put different implications or implements into play as far as your team is concerned and what have you. So then you can go back and look at it. Um, and I think that's what you have to continue to do. And you have to continue to do that on a daily basis, certainly as a, as a head coach uh, to get better and, uh, and hopefully um, allow your team to be better uh, because of it. So what do do you, what do you find yourself doing now? Like we've been off for uh, March 11th was our last game. 
And uh, so it's coming up on two months. Like there's only, only so many practice. There's almost so much film you can watch, especially when it's not fresh. What are you yeah. doing? Yeah. Well, when it first came, when it first happened, we prepared like the coaching staff, we literally prepared for a, a mini camp because you're thinking, okay, we'll be out for a couple of weeks. Two weeks gonna, and come back. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're gonna come back. Let's have a, a mini camp. So we prepared for a three, four day mini camp, got our practice plans, our videos together. Everything was set. Like it's all, it's all put on paper. It's all, the videos are all organized already. And then as it got a little bit longer, a little bit longer, we started to think, okay, well, now it's not going to be a mini camp. It's, it's going to be a, a major camp. And now we're going we're gonna to look at a 10-day camp. So it was a couple of weeks ago we said, okay, we need to adjust. We need to put into place a 10-day, two-week camp, um, conditioning, days off, video. And we put that together. Now, last week, we, uh, we had heard, okay, well, now maybe you have to think about putting practice plans together for having three – to five guys on the ice. So now you right. come back. So now you got, so you have five guys go in the training room they clean it. They get five guys on the ice. You have a practice for five guys. Like, like they, it's just, people are starting to think about different things. So I, we had a zoom call the same as this uh, with the coaches and, and we have one once a week and we said, well, let's start thinking. We haven't put anything together as far as that's concerned, but let's start putting our minds uh, thinking about, maybe we got to go with a three, five player practice situations and what that would look like. So just trying to get ahead of it a little bit. But after that, Charlie probably doing what everybody else is doing until outside really opened up in the golf courses, which I'm an avid golfer. So I'm out there as much as I possibly can is that you're trying to stay in shape with different situations you have in your, in your house or, or your apartment. And uh, do you have a bike? Then, do you have a bike in your apartment? <laughs> I have a bike in one bathroom and I bought a little heater and so I, <laughs> I, I put the heater on and I actually I'm going to show you just a sec. I, I actually wear my track suit because it is literally I know I know the people can't see it but it's literally and there I, it is. the track suit that I wear because it's the best garbage bag it's the best it doesn't allow any breathing ability, so you can just sweat so much. So you know, I've got high one. School, <laughs> I was gonna say when when I was in high school wrestling, we'd we'd have the plastics on to cut weight, right? Just right. no breathing at all. And that's what we call we call it a garbage bag. You put yep. the garbage bag on, and you ride the bike, and you just sweat. And I just I love to sweat. You guys know. I mean, I I I'm on the bike a lot, and and when I'm, so I have that, and then I'm uh, I got right into yoga. So my other, yeah, my other bathroom is set up as a, my yoga mats there and I shift the heater over and, <laughs> and, and I do yoga, uh, on the mat, uh, in that bathroom. So, but obviously with, uh, outside now I have a road bike as well. So trying to stay as active as possible. And then like everybody else, I'm sure, um, watch every single Netflix feature there is. Yeah, you know it's funny you you mentioned the heater, and I'm glad you did. The one season the Admirals played in Glens Falls and Adirondack, I went into the workout room after Dean, and it was like 92 degrees in there. <laughs> it was well, unbelievable. Well, Aaron, if you remember morning skates, I didn't go on the ice. So right. Aaron would interview me after every morning skate. You'd get your clips with the guys or whatever, and then you'd come in and you'd 
or me first and then the guys or what have you. Yeah. So I would start riding the bike until you got there. And right. there'd, be, there'd be some days where, you know, you, you had your daughter or something messed up or you were dropping her off at school and you wouldn't get there. And by the time you got there, I couldn't move my bloody pedals anymore. <laughs> and I'd be all over here and I'd, I'd be like, where the hell have you been? I'm going to die on this bloody bike. 17 here. more miles, yeah. <laughs> yeah but we had we had our routines for sure and uh you know it was uh it was a lot of fun a lot of great memories when when you first took the job in milwaukee was it just a hey i okay i've been an assistant in washington for seven years i didn't get the job like in the last point you need to be a head even though you had been a head coach you needed to be a head coach in the ahl is that why you took the job in milwaukee you know, Charlie, the year before I got the job in Milwaukee, I, I went into that year, it was the summer before, and I went to, um, to, to George McPhee and I said, George, who's the general manager of the Washington Capitals, um, I said, you know, I, I love Washington. I love Bruce Boudreau was the coach there. We, were, we had success. I said, but I think it's time <clears throat> that I have to go if I'm not going to have an NHL job opportunity to be an NHL coach, I'd like to go and, and try to be a head coach in the American Hockey League. So, yeah, I, I asked him, I said, if you hear of something that comes up, could you just, you know, mention my name or whatever? And he's like, yeah, I would absolutely. And I said, I don't know how things are going to turn out. And then I actually ran into Paul Fenton um, at one point, and I said to Fenner the same thing. If something was – um, ever out there. Um, Paul and I have been good friends for a long time. We played in Binghamton together on, on those teams with the bull. Um, and then we <laughs> circled, we circled, he was an older, more mature guy. Uh, but we circled back and we played together with the San Jose Sharks years later. And we'd stayed in contact and been good friends for a long time. And I just said to him the same thing. And then, so when this, when, when Bruce got let go, Dale Hunter came in, um, I did interview um, for the job in Washington with George. And then uh, when George had made the decision to go with Adam Oates, um, he called me and said that uh, they were going in a different direction. Uh, but David Poyle would like to speak to you if, uh, if you have a minute and give him a call. And here's his number. I called David and uh, we started the process to, uh, um, to get the job in Milwaukee. So you end up in Milwaukee and then to leave, how difficult was it? Because you obviously the goal is to be a head coach in the NHL and you're that now. Um, but how difficult was it to leave? Because you had, a, we talked about routines. You had a routine, you had a, a good living situation. It seemed like you were very happy and, and all of that. Stuff. So was, how difficult was it to have a difficult thing to even think about because we did enjoy um, our time in Milwaukee, but um you know, it was a situation where when it was presented, it was like, you know, okay, well, maybe this is, this is the progression, the next step to, to doing what, what we want to do. And uh, we were there for, for however long and, and enjoyed our time in Milwaukee. But, um, you know, it just seemed like the right, the right time, the right opportunity. Um, it, it certainly wasn't planned. It wasn't like the situation of going from the NHL the last time. It just presented itself. And, and uh, with a lot of thought process, we, uh, we made the decision. And, and hopefully it was the right one. Uh, I don't know where it's going to go. Um, obviously, I can't control that. Um, we had a, a good run for um, however many games, 12 games or whatever it was that, uh, that, that we were put into place. And, 
hopefully we get that opportunity to continue that and uh, not only this year but um, for the future but um, you know hopefully we've done enough to to uh, allow management to see that uh, hopefully we can do the job in the future yeah you know, we ask players this all the time and it's different a, a, a little bit different uh, for you as a coach especially since you know you had worked with Bruce for Bruce for many years you're obviously good friends with him but what was the, okay, Dean, you're now a head coach in the NHL. Who was the first person you called? And what was, your, what was it like your first night on the bench as, like, the boss? You mean here? Here in, in Minnesota as the head coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, uh, we came in to uh, like practice. Actually, my wife was flying from Montreal to, to come here to, to Minnesota. Um, and we finished our, our meeting in the morning at 8 o'clock. And I was just turned around at my desk and, and working and, and I heard Billy Guerin's, excuse me, voice behind me said, Dean, do you have a second? And I turned around. I said, sure. And I walked back to his office, not having any idea, obviously, what was going on. And he said that they had made the decision to, uh, to relieve Bruce and they were going to name me uh, interim head coach. And you have a meeting in 45 minutes with the players. Um, you have to get your practice plan together. Um, and we played the next day. So it was, um, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Um, I finished the whole, had to go through the meeting with the player. Well, first the coaches put a practice plan together. What are we going to do for video? What are we going to do? This and that practice plan, get on the ice, practice media, the whole thing. The funny thing is my wife is now, she's flying in. And by the time I finally talked to my wife, it's like one o'clock in the afternoon. She had got an Uber to our, our apartment here in St. Paul and, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I better call my wife at some point here. And right. the guys are like, she is going to absolutely kill you. And I, I said, I knew that I married the right girl. And she answered. She goes, my phone blew up. I knew you'd be busy. She said, not a big deal. She <laughs> said, it was okay. So I was like, oh, I knew I married the right person. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it was – but it was absolutely crazy, Charlie, um, that whole day. Your head you, – you think you're prepared. And we just talked about it. Like you put stuff in your phone that you do and you talk about your change and this and that. And then it hits and it's just like, now what? Uh -uh. and anxiety just goes and you're just all over the place. And then if you can just step back and, and think, and, and actually my mom, um, who I've, I've talked about here in a few interviews, but she's always stated, and I, I know it's a cliche or people live, but, but she always said one day at a time. And always one day at a time. And, and she actually sent me a text when it was reported, whatever. It was actually before we went on the ice. And she, she just put one minute at a time. And just, just, just so I just sat back. And, you know, once you actually get on the ice, and I hadn't been a head coach for, you know, whatever, a few years. But it's, it's, it's honestly like riding a bike. Like, you just, you start and you you, you just talked about your routines, but you just kind of get into it and you just kind of flow into it. And not only the practice plans, but getting behind the bench, um, you know, calling the lines and, and what have you. Um, it just, it felt really comfortable. And the good thing is that I have, we have tremendous assistant coaches in, in Bob Woods, uh, Bob Mason, Darby Hendrickson, um, our video coach, Jonas Palmer. There's so much support um, that we were able to, you know, to get through those first couple of days together. We didn't have success that first game against San Jose. 
Um, but we went on the road and we won our first game uh, against the Vancouver Canucks. Do you, have you know, it's funny you mentioned you mentioned, I'm sorry to interrupt. You mentioned Darby's name. It just I've been doing obviously cleaning up and everything like that. And I found an old program of a team I played with a uh, program from a tournament in Richfield, Minnesota. And I, I was on the ice somewhere with Darby. Now that wouldn't happen now, but <laughs> yeah. 19, uh, well, could, you, could you ask him on Aaron's behalf? If he re- yeah. <laughs> ask him if he remembers playing against a kid from Invergrove Heights. I just played uh, golf with Darb yesterday, so uh, we're playing again later this week. So I'll, I'll ask him, Aaron. But I forgot that well, you mentioned it earlier that you knew the area, but I forgot that you were from here. That's right. And yeah. you're a big Prince fan, too. Huge Prince fan. You know yeah. what? It's funny. We just had the anniversary, and I said, I could have sworn we were at Panther Arena when I was complaining about that to Dean rather than <laughs> the Bradley Center when I was <laughs> It was the Bradley Center. My daughter would not know a world that Prince wasn't in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, th- there's a lot we of uh, – oh, go ahead, Aaron. I was just going to say, we, Charlie asked you about who told and we, who told you the news, and we talked so much with players about – who breaks the news to you? You broke the news to an awful lot of players that they were going to the NHL uh, over your, your time. And um, do you have a favorite way? I mean, Mark Van Gilder's told was just tickled with the way his went down. I mean, do you remember these conversations or, or how you presented not only the players, but the rest of the team? You know what I remember, Aaron, is their faces. Like, that's what I try to focus on. Um, there's so many, so many different ways that things have gone down and, to say I, I remember one specific that was, um, you know, different or, or more exciting than the other. It's just after telling them, it's just seeing their face. And, and it doesn't even, it doesn't even, if they don't smile, they don't have to smile. You see it in it their eyes. The shock, right? huh? Their eyes are just, like, just excited. And um, that's, that's the exciting part for us as coaches in the, in the American. One of the most exciting things is to have a player come in and tell him that he's going to play. And you get that privilege to do that. Um, it's, it's so exciting um, to watch those. And, and we all do. I mean, we always had all the coaches in there and uh, we always sat down and like I said, we, it was done different ways, but we were all able to, to have that, uh, um, you know, that experience um, with that player, it was, uh, it was awesome. Do you remember what you did to Mark? I don't know. He, he, here's what you did is you have a team meeting and he's 30 years old and yeah. has not played a game in the NHL before. And uh, you call a team meeting. And then the last thing you say, and Van just got called up and he walked out of the room <laughs> and the boys went crazy because I mean, yeah. if everyone who knows Van, you can't root know, he's for Mark Van of, you got something wrong with you. Right. He's yeah. a salt of the right. earth guy. Right. I mean, right. yeah, just yeah. a unique opportunity. Yeah. I mean, like all those things, like, like some guys you want to just blurt it out because they, they want like a guy like Van, that's how he would like it to go down. And I'm sure that's what we did is we talked as a staff and just, you know, he didn't want the huge, you know, Van and talk all about it. It's just like Van's getting called up. Like, it, that would be that would be. But you're right. His teammates would be so excited for him because he was such a, a great, great teammate, great person. How many times? And you don't have to name names, but were there times where you get a call from Barry or Paul uh, or even David and says, "Okay, we're calling this guy up," and you want to say, "No, like you are sending the wrong message right now if you call this guy up." Uh, did you ever do that? Did you ever express your opinion in that way? Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't know how many times, but several times. Um, 
And with Barry, with, uh, with Peter Laviolette, um, with Paul, who I dealt with uh, mainly, obviously, with Paul, is that it's the wrong message to send to the team here. It's the wrong message to say to send to this individual, to that individual. And, yeah, you voice your opinion. Absolutely. And I think if you don't, then you're doing a disjustice to, to your team and, and uh, to your players and, and to yourself. I mean, it's just you have to – um, you know, believe in what you believe in and you have to try to, uh, to express that. And, and sometimes they took your opinion and say, yeah, you know, you're right. And sometimes it's like, no, you're wrong. And, and sometimes you are, but you have to voice your opinion, but no, that went to a lot of communication, um, a lot of open communication. And, and certainly when I was in Milwaukee, uh, with Paul being our general manager, um, there was uh, massive communication and uh, it was daily. My wife would, would, you know, the phone would ring and she said, Oh, there's your boyfriend or something like that. <laughs> like it was just like, here, here he is again. Um, but, and, and we had several, several heated, heated arguments um, that were, were always um, left uh, in, in a good note um, that, and we always went forward. Um, but I think you have to have that uh, in order to, uh, you know, like I said, do your do your players justice. Before we before we wrap up, I know Charlie's got got a, a little more, but I want to make sure I get this in uh, as we get close to an end. Um, Scott Ford, when you first joined the team, Scott Ford had signed with St. Louis, and by and far the worst captain, worst player, worst <laughs> person I've ever had. Worst golfer too, huh? <laughs> well, I, I I wish that was true that I never lose. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, but it seemed to me because he 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 didn't start the season with the team, but it seemed like immediately that you guys once he came back in that trade that you guys had a a, a really good relationship right off the bat, and that, that I think that says something about you, but it also says something about the type of guy he is because there was no. It didn't seem like there was ever any separation between him as a player and a, and the head coach. He could talk freely, and, and that doesn't always happen. No, Fordo, Fordo and, and I didn't know Fordo because he had been with Milwaukee, then right. left, and then I came in, and he was in Peoria. Right. And all I heard about was how great a leader this guy is and what a great person he is. I had no idea who he was. And so um, the guys really orchestrated that, Ryan, um, Stan. Um, that we need to get this guy back, Paul, obviously. Um, so when we got him back, made him our captain, it was uh, obviously very easy uh, decision. But you're right, Scott Scott was a coach when he was playing. Um, and I can joke that he wasn't a good enough player. He should have been a coach and, and, <laughs> and what have you. But he was a very effective and a very good player, but he was a way better, better person and a, a better teammate uh and and that went to his leadership skills and and i think um you guys seen uh especially this year and, and last year but how um he's evolved into the coach that he's become as well i think he i think your penalty kill was absolutely phenomenal um i i know he heads that up i, I know the defense is uh um very structured and, and organized and and um he's a great communicator um, and he's going to have a great long career. Uh, it won't be long before he's um, out of Milwaukee, unfortunately for you guys, and in the NHL. But uh, but yeah, he's uh, um, he's he's made a, a, a nice post career for himself for sure. So I, 
I have just a, I've got a couple more questions. One, and one, you bring up Fordo and, you know, when you look back, he, Fordo played with all of the defense that's pretty much all the defense that's up in Nashville right now. He played with Roman Yossi. He played with Matias Ekholm, like as a D partner, he played with Ryan Ellis. And we, one of the, the, the you know, we got the big board in the locker room. It says the road to Nashville goes through Milwaukee. And yeah. you were a big part in developing a lot of guys that are, are NHL board. players now. Do you take pride in that? Do you, do you, you know, you see a guy on TSN highlights or whatever, and you're like, geez, I, I saw that in him. Absolutely. Um, and I think back to your point with Fordo is that Fordo took pride in that was his job. That was his role. One of his roles on the team was to mentor Kevin Fiala, to mentor uh, Ryan Ellis, and to, to show him <laughs> not how to stick handle. That He definitely is not going to show anybody, and he's not going <laughs> to show them how to skate, but he is going to show them how to conduct themselves as a pro. He's going to show them how to conduct themselves as a person um, on and off the ice and, and a good teammate. And that's what he taught so many of our guys, and he's continuing to do that. But, yeah, there's no question that when you see somebody on a highlight or, or, um, or somebody's on the ice, and you always get – I enjoy in warm-up now when I'm on, on the NHL bench and I look over and somebody's and, – and there's never a – you know, hello and a yell. It's just a, a smile or a wink or a, a nod, um, you know, from the players to you. And it, yeah, it gives you a great feeling inside that you might have had a little part in helping develop them to get to the highest level. And, and that's the greatest league in the world, the NHL. Was it weird for you? I think you were down in Des Moines watching prospects for the Wild play and they were playing, the, playing Milwaukee, playing the Admirals. Was it, how weird was that? to see the Admirals out there and not to instinctively think to yourself, like, that's my team. Yeah, it's, uh, I think if you can um, just remember all the, the, the good times and, and take that and, and go forward, I think that's, uh, that's what I've been able to do a lot. Um, and with a lot of things in, uh, obviously, in our lives, I mean, a lot of times that's all you have is your your thoughts and your memories and, and what have you. I mean, nowadays you've got video and all that good stuff, but um, you know, your stories uh, as you talked about earlier and um, your memories, but yeah, I mean, we absolutely, as I said before, absolutely love uh, our time in Milwaukee and the Milwaukee Admirals organization and uh, we'll always um, really love our time there. That it, Charlie? You got anything else? I mean, I got, probably got a million, but uh, yeah, exactly. But that's just it. Because got... you don't shut up, Charlie. I nice know. <laughs> it's and just like old times here. Not, that hasn't changed at all. Yeah, <laughs> in, yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, Dean, uh, can't thank you enough for the time. Uh, it's great to see you. It's great to talk to you. Um, best of luck the rest of the way. We hope uh, the rest of the season goes well for you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Really appreciate uh, the time. Loved uh, chatting with everybody and. Um, as I said, not only love the time in Milwaukee, the fans, and uh, you know, all the friendships was absolutely great. Very good. Former Admirals head coach Dean Avison. That does it for a Milwaukee Admirals podcast. Thanks for tuning in.